Welcome to episode 39 of Behind the Mission, a show that sparks conversations with Psychomer trusted partners and educational experts. My name is Dwayne France, and each week I'll be having conversations with podcast guests that will equip you with tools and resources to effectively engage with and support military service members, veterans, and their families. You can find the show on all the podcast players or by going to psychomer.org forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us on Behind the Mission. Our work and mission are supported by the generous partnerships and sponsors who also believe that education changes lives. This episode is brought to you by PsychArmor, the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military cultural content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners as well as custom training options for organizations. You can find more about PsychArmor at psycharmor.org. On today's episode, we'll be featuring a conversation with Zach Badorf, the executive director and founder of the nonprofit organization Military Veterans in Journalism. Zach is a national security and foreign policy professional with more than 15 years' experience on the front lines of the world's conflicts, including Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Central African Republic, Crimea, Kashmir, and the West Bank. You can find out more about Zach by checking out his bio in our show notes. Let's get into my conversation with him and come back afterwards to talk about some of the key points. So your career, both in and alongside the military, has been a unique blend of journalism and, and foreign policy. While your experiences are rich and deep, I'm interested in hearing more about how this convergence of journalism and the military became something that you've really dedicated your life towards. Yeah, thanks for having me on. For me, I started out really wanting to be a storyteller. I joined the military because I wanted to go out in the world, do some good journalism, some storytelling about the military, for the military. And that's what I did. I worked across Asia, the Pacific, the Middle East, doing video, radio, photo, print stories for American Forces Network, for various military publications. And I had an incredible experience. And I think it's important that whatever community you're in, whether it be within the military, within the veteran community, within New York City or Kansas, that you have somebody who can be there to document history, to play a, a role in uniting that community, sharing the stories. All those things are really important for creating that sense of community. And I also see it as national service. If you are a reporter, you are continuing, if in my case, continuing your military service and in a way that is serving your nation and your community. So for me, it's always been about those sort of aspects of my life, blending together my desire to, to tell the good story and also to, to serve. And that's what I've tried to do in different capacities over my life, whether it be working for the military, living and reporting in the Central African Republic, reporting for New York Times or Associated Press, et cetera, et cetera. Always there's, there are those different elements. And I think, that, I guess the difference being is that when you're in the military and you're working for the military, you're telling their story. It's a, it's a community aspect of their communications work. When you're a reporter working for a news outlet, you're digging a little bit deeper. You're being more objective. You're looking for a variety of perspectives. You're asking a lot of questions and you're demanding answers. And I think that I guess that's the, the sort of differentiating factor between them. 
I really appreciate that idea. If nobody's there to document the tree falling in the woods, did it actually fall, right? And so many great things, and and honestly, some things that really people need to know about that may not be so great, they happen. But, and this is, I think, one of the things that we started to see in Vietnam, and especially these days with the constant communication in, in the current conflicts, global war on terror, is that the home front had a lot more access to information about what was going on day to day than they had in previous conflicts, even say civil war, world or one or two. Yeah, absolutely. Minute by minute, second by second updates with social media and of course, various news platforms that operate online. There's pluses and minuses to that, I would say. It's important that we're informed, but also when you have minute by minute coverage, sometimes you lose context and you don't get the bigger picture and information that is provided isn't always accurate or isn't doesn't have the full context. So when I think about For example, the use of propaganda, whether it's a militant group or whether it's a government, they will sometimes put out their side or their view or their perspective, their slanted examination of an event. And then the onus is on the reader sometimes, the consumer of that media, to find a balance. And it it can be tricky to do that if you're not a super media savvy. And I, and I think that gets the, back to the point of media literacy is, is critical when it comes to disinformation in particular. We need to have a society that is better informed about how to consume media, how to judge media, whether that's online, whether that's Twitter, whether that's a Facebook post, whether that's a newsletter or whether that's cable news. There are, are so many different ways that people consume information these days. And we have to be careful about how we consume it. And we have to learn the sort of... I think it's important to know how reporters, good reporters, do reporting, what the sort of techniques they do, the people they talk to, the words they use, all these things, they shift the narrative. And people will use certain words to make a certain political point, and it can be indicative of bias. So a good media consumer will be able to understand the process that journalists go through to be able to identify what's missing in a story. Where else should I be looking? For me, for example, I try to look at a range of perspectives. I go to Google News. It's a good aggregator. And I'll look at Fox News. I'll look at the Wall Street Journal. I'll look at The Intercept. I'll read from The Real News Network, all sorts of publications that provide different perspectives. And then with that information, I can piece together in my head middle ground there to try to understand the varying perspectives on things. I think that's an interesting way of looking at it in the way I gather, if I can reframe a little bit, is that previously that job of finding balance was the reporter, the editors, the individuals that were bringing the news together. And now it's a matter of the rapidity at which the news is brought out. That job is now in the hands of people that are, let's say, least likely or least trained to be able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that gets to the quantity and the speed of information and also the siloization of America in particular, but also I would say around the world. And there are still some great outlets do that do excellent reporting. I, I always turn to the wire services, for example, Associated Press, UPI, Reuters. Those are the ones that I can consistently count on to provide, as I say, just the facts, ma'am. But some of the larger outlets that we've seen, there is more and more editorialization in the way that they write stories. And even if you look at at some of the more popular stories that are put on some of the big outlets, you have to look very carefully to find that, in fact, it's labeled as an opinion piece or something like that. It's the style and the way that it's, it's framed 
is sometimes difficult to discern between what they're presenting as reporting versus what they're presenting as uh, opinion. So you have to, again, it comes back to knowing how to consume media. I would also say that the, back to the issue of silos within our country in particular, people live in their bubbles on all ranges of perspectives, politically and otherwise. And sometimes that can mean that the information you get keeps you within that silo and it keeps repeating itself and building upon itself. And it can be difficult to get out of those. And I think that's a challenge of the market itself, but also just an indication of how the media ecosystem works. We, they are incentivized to have hyperbolic publications and economically and to, to cater to the audience that they're developing. And so that's a real challenge. And, and one that, by the way, I think requires a whole of society response, a combination of government, working with corporations like Facebook, cooperating with media and building up the capacity for local media, especially, but also trying to find ways that we can have a conversation in the country that is not so polarized. Yeah, I, I really like that. I, I have a colleague who really describes our use of technology is perhaps collectively our maturity is not to the level of the, what we're getting. We're like a 16-year-old with a Mustang right now and, and really the power that's there. But really, this goes back to the fundamental importance of journalism. It's a critical part of our society. Founding fathers saw that freedom of the press is essential to democracy. John Adams says the liberty of the press is essential to the security of freedom. How do you see your work as an essential part of even identifying some of those things that you're talking about, the polarization of our society or really our democracy as a whole? I am not doing journalism actively these days. I'm working more in a support role to get more veterans into journalism through my nonprofit, Military Veterans in Journalism. But when I was actively reporting, again, I think of it as a service something that is of service to the public, where there's the documentation aspect. Recording history, I think, is important. And also there's calling people to account, whether that's a warlord, which I've done, whether that's the United Nations, which I've done, whether that's the U.S. government, which I've done, or, or whether it's individuals who are abusing power, abusing people, all sorts of things. And I think what journalists can do in the, their capacity is that fourth estate is be on the outside and be asking these hard questions. And in democracies, they're not killed for that. In non-democratic states, they're disappeared in the middle of the night and, and tortured and never to be seen again. And sadly, that still happens. We saw that happen with Khashoggi, for example, by Saudi Arabia. It's a really important part of our society. And it's one that makes a lot of people afraid. These institutions of power, again, using the Saudi Arabia as an example, they don't want these sort of questions asked. We're lucky enough to live in a society where we can ask a lot of these hard questions and demand answers and find something beyond the, the public relations statements. We can dig deep. And this is important for our society. And I also think, speaking specifically to veterans in news, I think there can be a perception that veterans might toe the line, that they're just going to march in step with what the government puts out. But in fact, I would argue entirely the opposite. Most of the veterans that I know in the news world are, in fact, very skeptical of what the government or any institution puts out. They're, in fact, quite contrarian. And they've lived through it. They've seen it. They've had these experiences. They've seen the, the public affairs nonsense. So they are people who I think are really essential in newsrooms because they can see right through the, the nonsense. 
And I think that, again, is one of the values that veterans can bring to, to newsrooms today, even though they're vastly underrepresented. And I see a lot of similarities in that desire for service. We always said when we served overseas, I went to combat so my sister didn't have to or my cousins didn't have to, so to speak. But journalists are there in very dangerous situations right along with that. And you've mentioned several, but you're there so I don't have to witness that myself. And it's a matter of placing myself, not in a a bravery way, but placing myself in a situation where I have a particular skill set to be able to tell the story that you don't have the ability or that, that citizens don't have the ability to understand on their own. Yeah. And I also look at it as empowering people who are disempowered. A lot of my reporting over the years has been, for example, on, on refugees. And these are some of the least powerful people in the world. They often have basically no resources. They're relying on for sustenance from humanitarian organizations or a state. They're away from their friends and family. Oftentimes they're persecuted because of their ethnicity or the nationality. And a lot of the reporting that I've done has has been to highlight and try to give back some power to people like refugees to share their stories, to give them a chance to explain the sort of things that they've been through and talk about what the needs of their communities are. And it's it's not a, a simple fix. Like I, I can go and report on torture or uh, killing of journalists, for example, and it's not going to change overnight. Journalism doesn't necessarily work that way. Some, sometimes if you're very lucky, you'll see a tangible change. I've had a few times in my career when I, I saw policy and actions as a result of my reporting. But other times it's part of a long game, part of a, a big picture. And, and that can blend a little bit into advocacy. If you're telling the side of the story of the disempowered, that narrative sort of gets out there. And But I actually don't, I don't mind that as long as my intentions are clear. I think it's important to be upright and, and forthright about where you as reporters stand. There's there are there's an old school mentality that you have to pretend to be objective. I don't think you can be 100% objective about things like this. I think everybody has a bias one way or the other. And I think it's just important that you acknowledge those biases and be transparent about them. And that's one of the nice things about social media is that, um, again, some people will say you shouldn't post any of your opinions and things like that, some sort of old school mentality. But I think it gives people a chance to better understand how you report and make a conclusion based on Zach tweeted about this. He must think this about this. And so therefore, when I'm reading his reporting, he's going to try to be objective. I can tell from his reporting that he talked to these warlords, for example, but maybe in fact, he, he is, if he's condemning the war, warlords on Twitter for massacring a village or something like that, then maybe in fact, I can take that into account when I'm reading his, his stuff. And I think that's this idea of the unique aspect of how veterans and their perspective, as you said, we can be, you know, I, I would use the term cynical, right? But the people who have worked behind the curtain at Disneyland understand things about Disneyland that you and I don't. And I can see that really really with how that can be beneficial with service members who move into journalism. And you've mentioned a couple of times that the Military Veterans and Journalism Network, its goal to support veterans in journalism and increase the presence of veterans in media organizations. Why do you think it's important for more journalists with military experience to be in this field? Well, first of all, I think newsrooms 
in our country should be reflective of the incredible diversity of our nation. There are efforts underway at many newsrooms across the country to make sure that our newsrooms are racially and ethnically diverse, as well as, well as on the gender lines as well. And I think veterans need to be considered as part of this DEI efforts as well. Veterans make up roughly 7.5% of the country. Yet, if you look at newsrooms in America, about 2% of media workers are vets. And so our vantage point, our experiences, our understanding, deep understanding and nuanced understanding of military and veteran affairs is missing in a big chunk of America's newsrooms, including many of the top newsrooms, by the way. In fact, I would say probably especially in America's top newsrooms. And I think that this is important because for one thing, we've been at war for 20 years. And yes, it's true. We now have no troops in Afghanistan. We have ended some of our long running wars, but there are other conflicts ongoing. And by the way, this is a problem that's been going on for this lack of diversity in newsrooms, including veterans in, in telling America's story as a, as a multi-decade problem. Military and, and veteran affairs make up a huge chunk of where of how we spend our national budget. Thousands of troops have died, but many more have been injured. We should be a part of telling this, these stories, and we're just not. It's a real, it's a real travesty, honestly. And I think some, some newsrooms are working toward recruiting more veterans, having them part of those conversations, but others are not. And that's part of what we're doing is working to push them to, to do more and more to diversify. At, at the same time, we're creating opportunities specifically to get more veterans in. So we've been fortunate enough to have some great support from the Knight Foundation, Craig Newmark Philanthropies, the Wincote Foundation, the Walton Family Foundation to create uh, fellowships, for example, in a variety of newsrooms. We have an awesome mentorship program. We have done a range of trainings specifically for our veteran community of about 500 military veterans in journalism. And these are the sort of things that need to be created because otherwise those opportunities just won't exist. And we've come, we're, we're only two years old. We're a new organization. We've come a long way. And by the way, we have a convention coming up in October. So if anybody's interested in learning more, check out mvj.network and consider joining us for our online convention. Yeah, so it's been quite a ride and we found, we've learned a lot and we have a lot more in the pipeline, by the way. And I think that's really critical as you're going to the news outlets and saying hire more veterans or bring more veterans and increase that diversity. Well, you have to have something in your pocket to bring to them. So there's this communication, one, to the organizations, but also to the veteran community as just like you said, is that, hey, if this is something that you might even consider, like you know, I consider myself a storyteller. I don't consider myself a journalist necessarily, right? But I write and I speak in the podcast and everything else. But if this is something, this idea of service and empowering the disempowered and things like that. If that's something that a veteran who is listening say, hey, that really speaks to me. That's something that your organization does is help nurture that and give them pathways into the field. Yeah, it's a tough, it's a tough road, journalism, honestly. It's a very difficult field to break into. And the pay is not great, certainly in the beginning. It is very rewarding work, very rewarding. And I think it's fun. I think the journalism work is just really fun. But for those who want to pursue that path, or even if you're just thinking about it, we have a range of resources and some really dedicated folks who are helping helping vets out along this path. So definitely, I would encourage people who are working 
to, to become fully employed in journalism or people who are thinking about a career in journalism to check us out on the web, Military Veterans in Journalism. Absolutely. So I'll make sure that links to all of that is in the show notes. Zach, I really appreciate you taking your time to come on the show today. Hey, thanks for having me. Once again, we would like to thank this week's sponsor, PsychArmor. PsychArmor is the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners, as well as custom training options for organizations. I always enjoy talking to guests that I haven't connected with before, as well as those outside of my own experience related to mental health and social services. I love talking to those guests too, of course, but I enjoy it when I talk to guests like Zach, because I'm learning new stuff right along with you. I hadn't considered journalism, as Zach described it, as a type of or extension of service. Many of the same values that drive individuals to join the military, a desire to be something bigger than themselves, to make a difference in the world, to experience excitement, adventure, and really wild things, some of these things can be true with journalism. And it's not a one-size-fits-all. Not all journalists are halfway around the world three-quarters of the year or covering the political beat. In my local work, I've known several print and on-air journalists, and they're dedicated folks who just want to tell the stories of our communities. Even the concept of standing in as a proxy. Zach stood in front of the military leaders and the warlords so that we don't have to, and because we couldn't. Somebody had to, in order for the hidden things to come to light, and journalists do that. And the fact that Zach described journalism as a career with delayed gratification, he mentioned that you don't always, or even often, see the immediate result of the work that you do. He didn't describe it in this way, but in the military, we often said that there were some really great moments, but most of the hours sucked. I imagine that the same is true in journalism. You really have to believe in what you're doing to be able to get through the lack of immediate gratification. You have to have hope, which may be strange to hear when you talk about two stereotypically cynical occupations, journalism and the military. One of the things that Zach said really resonated with me, empowering the disempowered. Many times when we, veterans, were deployed overseas and were exposed to different culture and the true nature of suffering that we hadn't seen before, there can be some questioning, especially if the deployment is difficult. Why are we here? What's the reason that I and my brothers and sisters are in this terrible place? We often come up with some justification just to calm ourselves down. I recall doing that in Bosnia back in the mid-90s, where I was part of the first deployment of troops enforcing the Dayton Peace Accords. We were literally inserted into places that had been battlefields six months before. At the bottom of the mountain that housed our camp was an orphanage. These were war orphans, kids who had lost their parents in the conflict or as a result of the horrendous ethnic cleansing that was prevalent in that war. For me, at 19 years old, that's what I gave myself as a reason. I was there in Bosnia so that those kids could play soccer again. I couldn't alleviate their pain and suffering. I couldn't undo their loss but I could be part of something that could bring some hope for a future for them. And that's what Zach described as being meaningful to him, the ability to empower the disempowered, to give hope to the hopeless and power to the powerless, simply by telling their story. So if listening to Zach was as inspiring to you as it was to me, and you want to explore journalism as a career, then check out Military Veterans in Journalism. The links will be in the show notes. For this week's PsychArmor Resource of the Week, I'd like to share the PsychArmor course series on creating a career skills program, similar to what Zach has done with military veterans in journalism. 
a career skills program is a vocational and technical training program used for transitioning veterans to a civilian workforce. Military experience already equips veterans with a broad range of talents, including organizational skills and a team-oriented mindset. This course series will help you understand the major benefits of creating a career skills program to leverage veterans' experience, know the labor requirements for unpaid internships, and recognize the best practices and guidelines for creating such a program. This course demonstrates why career skills program are a great way to create a pipeline of skilled, ready-to-work talent for your hiring needs. You can access this course through the link in our show notes. So thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode. Make sure to take a look at the show notes, which you can find at psycharmor.org forward slash BTM39, as well as on the PsychArmor website. You will find the link to everything we talked about in today's show, as well as hundreds of online training videos delivered by nationally recognized subject matter experts who are committed to educating the civilian community about military culture. All of these courses are free to individual learners. Thank you for joining me on this episode and for continuing to join us on this journey. You wouldn't be listening if you didn't care, and it's that curiosity and passion for supporting service members and their families that we want to encourage and increase. Come back each week for another conversation, and make sure to engage with PsychArmor on social media to let us know what you think about the show. I'd like to express special thanks to Operation Encore and Navy Seahawk pilot Jerry Maniscalco for our theme song, Don't Kill the Messenger. This show was produced by Headspace and Timing, and all rights to the show remain reserved by PsychArmor. Feel free to share the show. In fact, we would like for you to do that, but make sure you let folks know where you heard it. Join us next time for another great episode. And until then, stay aware, get educated, and be well.